you're tuned in to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I'm your host, Jason B. Woodbury. My guest today is Sam Prekop. For more than 25 years, he's released music with The Sea and Cake and on his own. With the latter, he's responsible for guitar work and bringing his signature vocal style, cool, aloof, and clear. But his last few solo albums have found him focusing on analog synthesizers. His latest for Thrill Jockey Records is called Kama, and on it, he blends serene soundscapes with twitching electronic rhythms. I reached him in Chicago to talk about hunkering down, synthesizers, and how he and his Sea and Cake bandmates continue their remarkable work together after all these years. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy our talk. We'll speak more on the other side. Sam, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us here on the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. How are you? Uh, how are you hanging in in this weird, weird time? Uh, weirdly, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been intense. Um, I mean, it's sort of odd because my sort of day to day hasn't changed that much, you know, since I don't have. Uh, you know, a day job where I need to go anywhere, you know, I sort of work at home. So I'm fortunate to not have to like take a bus somewhere every day and be, um, deal with that stuff. So I feel guilty in some ways, but you, you feel, you feel guilty because for the most part you've been able to maintain your, you know, or, or some sort of close approximation of, of your normal life. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I was in charge of homeschooling my kids, but, um, so I got less work done during that, but I actually really got into it and it was, you know, really nice, in a in an interesting way and good to, to deal with that actually. So not a problem. Yeah. Well, well, you've got a new album out comma and it's a, uh, it's really tremendous. I really enjoy this album. What is it like putting an album out at this time? How does it feel different than, than let's say the normal album release process does it feel different uh well it's been delayed quite a bit and it's sort of nice to have an alibi like oh you know pandemic push 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 the album back right um i mean it always you know i i've i've been with it now for like quite a while you know it was actually done totally done, you know, mastering and all that stuff in February of this year or whatever. But I worked on it all last summer kind of. So I've been with it for quite a while and I'm always happy to, uh, you know, release it so that, you know, that's it. It's completely done. And, um, I don't think about it any further. I'm actually not, once I've decided it's done, I'm not the type to like go back and listen to it all the time and stuff like that, and, you know, because I'll just end up second guessing the choices I've made. And so I like to rest on, you know, the day I decided it was finished, I must have been happy with it. Otherwise, I would have not said it was done. So I just keep it at that and move it on. But so far, um, yeah, it just came out Friday and the response has been really good great you know people seem to really like it i think it's um i think people are used to me making this sort of music and not always uh singing you know pop songs and stuff so i think that's 
been sort of nice and a, and a new thing. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's good. How it feels different, I don't, I don't know yet because uh, I mean one thing is I won't be touring on it, so that's a big difference. You know, normally I would have some shows set up to go and support the record and stuff like that. Um, when you when you were making this record, were you thinking about how you would present it live? Um, so in a way, I knew that I would not be able to recreate these pieces live. And that's been the case with all of my electronic records. So I have uh, something else that I do live that obviously it's related because it's me with the synthesizer, but um, it's much more uh, improvising on the spot somewhat. I mean, I have, so there are long pieces and there's a certain arc to them that I know that's probably going to happen or whatever, but I'm sort of following it minute by minute as it's going along. So, um, But the latest shows I've been doing have been with John McIntyre. Yeah. So I'm on the modular and he's on uh, uh, like electronic drums and stuff. And it's likely I would have... We, so we've been touring mainly in Europe, just a couple of short tours, and it's been really great, you know, and, uh, and quite, um, you know, we're really excited about the project and, and it seems it goes over live really well. And it's, people can see that, you know, we're doing stuff, things are happening, you know, you can hear the results from what we're doing in the moment and stuff like that. So it all adds up. So yeah, for this record, I probably would have, gone out in support of it but i would not have been able to play this material maybe i could have maybe done something you know where i let people know that i realized that i'm in support of this record that i'm sure that I, that I can't play but you know i'm most people would be going with it i don't think anybody wants me to go up there with a laptop and like remix the tracks or something you know so Right, because you you obviously you want to maintain some sort of live feel. You know, you don't want to just watch somebody sort of uh, program on stage. At least I don't want to. You know, so I, I do. Yeah, think, yeah, totally. But, um, but the stuff that you and John are doing, it's it's sort of in a you know exploring similar themes or or even sort of. Would you think? Do you imagine that it would have uh, borrowed or or employed some of the same sort of tones and like ideas of the record it was that is that the general approach uh yeah definitely i mean a lot of the stuff on the record comes out of things that john and i would do you know live or whatever and a main difference is that on the record obviously it's discrete pieces you know um and live with my setup with my modular it's impractical to like repatch it several times you know and so the arrangements are completely organic but we end up getting to quite disparate types of music you know that can happen within the certain constraints of this format so a lot of stuff happens within it and you could uh deem them as separate pieces um, as we're going, even though in reality it's one long 
40 to 45 minutes of stuff that we're doing. But there's, you know, a definite, a very clear arc of beginning, middle, and end kind of thing. And basically, what you just need to do stuff, you know, things need to happen. You need to do stuff, take chances, and, uh, you know, that makes for interesting music. It's not, there can be some dead, some dead spots as well, but, you know, yeah. usually it goes over. Yeah. You know, I, I read an interview where you were, you were talking about how you have an affinity for sort of, a, you know, Japanese environmental music. Uh, right. Uh, and that that was at least partially an inspiration f for this record. And, and those are sounds that, um, you know, we're talking in the, in the, mostly in the, in the 80s, right? Sort of some of the 70s and 80s. But um, that's music that's designed with a sort of um, almost utilitarian aim. You know, it's music that is designed to set a mood or enhance a mood or sort of create a feel. And, uh, you know, I, I was curious if when you set out to make comma, if you had sort of intentions or, or possible applications in mind uh, in terms of, you know, either setting that sort of vibe for yourself or for the listener. Was that a part of what you were doing with this record? Uh, so I had no like prescribed intention for you know how people should listen or use the music i i appreciate that that concept is somewhat you know is interesting in a way but not useful to me i don't think actually um however those what those ideas get you to think about and what kinds of sounds um are produced from thinking that way of course has been an inspiration and and I think there's a certain um and it has to do with using modular stuff a sort of uh selflessness quality to it you know it's sort of like a certain faith in the machines and not knowing what they're going to do all the time and it's um a process of uh listening intently to you know outside of yourself in a way it's sort of like um i mean i equate it in a way to taking photographs you know like uh walking around and just taking note of things that interest you and in a way it's sort of the synthesizer stuff um i'm not interested in, in everything that it does and the process is getting it to a point where it surprises me and then I am able to take a photo quote unquote of that situation and then use it and expand upon it in a way. So when you're, when you're creating that way, when you're, when you're sort of, um, I don't want to say like a, like a bystander to your own creative process. Cause I know that's not exactly it, but you are talking about sort of, um, employing like the power of observation in what you're doing. And, and I, I wonder, does that sharpen sort of a different sort of editorial skill for you as a, as a creator than maybe, you know, sort of your pop song work, you know, does it, does it require you to maybe 
hone in or focus in in a way that feels different and maybe you know presents its own sort of unique challenge um so yeah what what we were just talking about is for comma especially it's really only one part of the process you know clearly um you know a lot of those pieces may have started that way but uh, to make them richer, I end up, you know, playing stuff on them and reacting to some of the source material and then arranging it into, you know, actual in musical form, you know, with movements and changes and developments and stuff like that. Um, I don't think it's, I mean, it's pleasant work. It just comes out of you know, on a very basic level, it's just me messing around with all this gear that I have, which I'm way into. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. And so, I mean, that's part of it. And you're either interested in that or you're not. For me, I'm way into it, but I want to do something with it, basically, you know, obviously. So, and I think it's fine to mess around with all this stuff and you can thoroughly enjoy it on that level. But for me to, I need to, you know, get it to a neck, another level for it, for it to maintain interest for me, I guess, basically. This is, is this, this is the first time, as I understand it, that you're really sort of um, working with, with beat programming and you're, you're sort of creating, uh, a, a, a maybe a, a denser rhythmic sort of foundation for at least parts of this record. Um, what, ins- yeah, what inspired you to, to, to kind of go down that road? So, um, I'm not exactly sure how it happened. I mean, I, I've incorporated some, some sort of beat kind of ideas and stuff like that previously. I don't think anything has really made it on record and and it's mainly because I'm not uh, that good at it, I guess in some (laughs) ways or, or that interested in it, but for this material and it, it sort of evolved to this direction um, because normally for my modular records, it's not usually part of the equation. You know, it's not something that I'm really that into or whatever. Uh, But for this stuff, I sort of came to the idea that they're sort of, I like to call them quote unquote, like utility beats in a way that they're sort of, they function in the background and they're mainly to sort of illuminate different aspects of the other music. I know that's in reality, that's not entirely true, but that's how I sort of thought of it. Like what it does to the other parts and also with that through line of a pulse, it becomes very, um, you know, it's a useful tool musically and you end up having to do less in a way and it can ultimately be more effective in a leaner sort of arrangement situation. So that's how I got into it. Did you, did you want this record to have a little bit more, let's say forward momentum than maybe uh, 
the other two uh, more more recent synth records that you've done? Because those, like I said, they also have like a sense of propulsion to them. But um, right. But this feels like there's like a little bit more of a of a driving sort of element, and 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 that feels maybe a little bit different. And you know, I wonder where that if you thought right. that that just suited these these pieces to some degree. So I, I'm really open to. Uh... You know, I follow the material. When I started thinking, okay, I should make a, a record, I didn't like turn the stuff on and make one of these pieces. You know, I mean, it took so there was like right, a couple right. <laughs> couple months of you know gathering ideas and raw material and sort of paying attention to what direction I'm starting to follow and what's you know becoming more interesting than other stuff and. Uh, and so after a while, you know, the material the the material that was starting to rise to the top that felt more interesting to me and something different in a way, um, yeah, ha- was starting to involve more explicit sort of pop structure and stuff like that. And so once I started to recognize that that those kinds of ideas were becoming more potent than the more sort of freeform exploratory stuff. You know, that's when I decided to point the record in that direction. So some of these tunes actually once, uh, an important tune for this record is, um, the first one on side two approaching, which is one of the first ones. And it was a very, um, it's one of those things like where the song kind of wrote itself and just like showed up, you know, I, I, I'm like, how is this happening? This sounds great. You know, I was really excited about it and it had, um, a very sort of automatic arrangement to it. And, you know, it felt emotive in a peculiar way and, um, had movements and parts, um, I mean, to finally really dig it out took quite a bit of work, but I was quite amazed that my studio could come up with something like that without me writing it beforehand, kind of, you know, I mean, it's really stems from uh, getting the stuff sensitized to a point where something like this can happen and that I just need to be paying attention and to recognize it and then record it and then deal with it later basically so that piece in a way set the tenor and sort of tone for the rest of them in a way um and after that the rest of the tracks came together pretty quickly you know like a month or two sort of and it was i had the record basically how do you, you know, what what is the the process like of sort of getting into the headspace to, uh, you know, it's 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 interesting the way you're describing so much of the process as being like um, something that you're you're a, a witness to, you know, or that's almost happening uh, right beyond you. And and I, I I understand that you know when you're talking about modular sense, you're talking about things that have character and can be finicky and can be to some degree, you know, unpredictable, you know, and those are all, of course, qualities that you could associate with, uh, 
you know, people too, um, in terms of like musical collaborators, the people that you play with right. and seeing cake. So I, I don't want to say that those things are completely, uh, you know, unique to this arrangement uh, for your work, but how, you know, do you, what, what kind of sort of um, tactics do you have for sort of getting into the space of sort of setting this stuff up and, and just sort of observing what it's doing and paying attention to it? Um, do you have to sort of, do you, are, are there things you have to sort of forget from the sort of song oriented side of things in order to do that effectively? So, you know, it won't do anything unless I do something with it basically. So right, I, for sure. I, I, do, I do like to think of it, uh, that it does, you know, have a mind of its own kind of, but for me, it, and and people like to talk about that as well, but in reality, I think it's more of a nice thing to say than in actuality. Um, right. <laughs> so, like my configuration has evolved over the years. Um, basically, it's gotten bigger and more complex, and so it affords more opportunity and more, you know, sort of different sound situations that you can mess around with. Um, in terms of, so one thing I like to talk, I, I'm forgetting what your question was, but one thing, uh, while I was on tour and playing this stuff live, I often have people come up to me who obviously also have, a modular synthesizer and they'll say how is it possible that you're getting so much music out of this thing and i just i just mentioned that i'm actually a musician well, right <laughs> and, and that i've been doing it for a really long time and in a sense it's sort of like you know it's a, like a guitar or anything else i mean it's it is truly um ultimately an instrument and that if you don't work on it it's not going to happen and well i i think what what confuses people is that the choices you make occur at different times and are not always necessarily instantaneous i mean you have to like design the thing to do stuff that you think might be cool and or interesting and you, there's experience necessary to get to that point, kind of, that I don't think people realize. It's definitely not like a turn it on and let it run. Kind of. Uh, of course, you can do that as well. Sure. And, you know, some people are great at that and can coax really good things out of that. Um, I can't escape my sort of, I mean, I can't even claim to be a real musician either, you know, except that I've been doing it for a really long time. Yeah, I think, so that, I've developed... I think that means you are a musician, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I don't like read music. I don't understand music theory. I, right. It's just that I, I haven't, I'm not opposed to it, obviously, but I've spent most of my time developing a very, I guess, we'll call it a personal musical language that I deal with basically. And that, um, so all of this experience also is transferred over to my, 
you know, instrumental synthesizer music stuff. And basically what I deem interesting or what I like singing and or vocal or on a guitar, it's, you know, really similar to finding those things on the synthesizer as well. Whatever. And then the hardest part is making it available to people, you know, where they'll, where your ideas are lucid enough that they'll be able to hear what you're going through and thinking about while doing it kind of, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I'm, I am surprised to hear you say that you don't read music because, or, you know, when I, when I listen to C and cake stuff and, and your solo stuff, you know, I, I mean, I don't know to my ears, you know, and I'm not also, I'm not good at reading music either. So perhaps I'm the least qualified person to have this observation, you know, but it sounds, it sounds to me like, you know, precisely what you're doing at all times, you know, not just in the sense that like on the record, you're happy with the songs. Cause of course you're not going to put out records where it sounds like you're, you know, botching every take, uh, unless, right. unless maybe you're like <laughs> Alex Chilton in the seventies or whatever. But, um, uh, yeah, you know, but like there's a thing of a, a certain sophistication and a certain kind of like coherence to what you do that is that it's just really, I mean, it, it's 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 very moving and it's and it feels very whole, you know. So it, it I think that, you know, what you're talking about, that personal sort of language that you've developed, you know, it does feel to me like you're a you're a master of that, you know. But um, but I wonder if, you know, the, these this last three records, you know, Old Punch Card from 2010, The Republic from 2015, and now Comma in 2020, you know, each, each of these things are sort of five years apart. <laughs> and, uh, and they almost feel like, like a trilogy, you know, to me as a listener, right. do, do they, do they feel mm-hmm. that way to some degree, um, to you? And, and do you, do you hear anything like, a in 2010, how, how long had you been sort of messing with a modular synthesizer at that point? Right. Yeah. So old punch card, I consider, you know, a super important record for me personally. Um, and so the whole synthesizer and modular thing has been an interest for quite a while. I mean, I don't, people might not realize, but there's quite a bit on seeing cake material too. And I, John is sort of has been the instigator for a lot of this stuff and he's it's through him is how I got started. Um, getting into, I mean, before the scene cake, I don't think I knew what a modular synthesizer was really. And so it's all through John that I became uh, aware of this stuff. So I think it was maybe a year or two before um, Old Punch Card where I got some of the equipment. At that time, it was a lot more expensive and harder to get any of this stuff. Um, so, yeah, that that presents a limitation in some ways. But anyways, I have been, but I have had a home studio for, um, I don't know when it started exactly, but I had done, you know, like bonus tracks for uh, C&K records, electronic-y kind of things. Yeah, um, yeah. Like for the fawn, there's quite a few and stuff like that. Um, and once I started accumulating more of this sort of 
modular gear and more synthesizing and stuff. You know, my intention was always to make a record of it, but I was always disappointed in what I was getting to. And the main problem was that I was just, um, you know, it was more rhythmic and pop oriented kind of stuff, but it just, I never felt it was really that good. And I was always quite frustrated with the outcomes and stuff. And, um, so once I decided for old punch card that, okay, I'm just gonna, I don't need to deal with this, um, song format kind of stuff. I'm just going to do how I actually arrived there. I'm not quite sure, but you know, I've probably, I'm sure I was started to get interested in, you know, like, uh, the, uh, radiophonic BBC stuff and Delia Derbyshire kind of, you know, who knows what I was listening to at that time, but clearly, um, I was exposed to something that made me think, well, okay, I can, you know, get beyond the sort of pop format with this stuff and try to make convincing electronic music in other idioms somewhat. Of course, um, I was extremely excited by that prospect, but I was also worried, like, you know, in what position am I in to <laughs> declare that I, now I am a music concrete artist, you know, and stuff like that. Well, sure. But I just have, but I just have to go with my gut and like, I'm into it. So what, that's it. I don't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. And right. of course, of course my fans and seeing cake people were horrified by the old punch card record, but I'm like, I can't help it. <laughs> it's something I had to do. And now I think in retrospect, people, you know, respect that plunge that I took. But at the time it was, um, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of people were quite confused, but at this point people are like, you know, who's the CNK? Give me this old punch card stuff, you know. But. <laughs> Wait, did so did you did you really have like C and Cake fans who expressed to you that they were not so on board with this uh, with this new direction? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I heard, um, you know, exactly directly, but that was the vibe I was getting. Yeah, from, yeah. I, I mean, I probably saw a couple of comments, you know, like what the hell happened here? And stuff. And I real, I fully appreciate where they're coming from. Like, Oh, Sam Precop, the guy who sings, you know, in the CNK has a new solo record. Let's check it out. And then you put on old punch card and you would obviously be perplexed. Well, sp- think, yeah. And to, and to some degree that does make sense. Cause you have made solo records that are, you know, ostensibly more, song based you know when where you yeah. do where you do sing and stuff so this was a a, a big shift um you right. know but, but w- when you look at these records you know and you see essentially a, a decade of progression you know um are, are you struck by anything i mean when you when you finish this new one i mean i know you mentioned already that you don't necessarily go back and listen to all this stuff but i'm sure that from a rough standpoint you know you you do have a sense of how things have progressed um you know what do you think that the guy who made uh the old punch card would think of of comma at this point um 
I mean, I probably would have thought, oh, if I had, if I knew how to make this now, I would do it now. But sure, I don't know. It, in a way, but I mean, Punch Card for me, yeah, like I mentioned, was a tremendously important record in that. And I've always felt this way, you know, that I'm really, I'm only beholden to myself. Really, I mean, I can't worry about what anybody else thinks. I just need to, you know, be able to get into it and feel like it's, you know, like I'm expressing what I'm really interested in right now and what I can come up with in this situation. I mean, for the new record, I was a bit, I sensed that people were going to be quite open to it. I mean, I know, I realize that it's much more user friendly in a way. I mean, it's sort of, um, it's more approachable with, you know, obvious rhythm structures and less sort of abstract cut and paste sort of, uh, strategies going on. So I sense that people are going to be uh, more into it. And of course that's not intentional. It's just sort of like where I got to somehow. I don't know why or how, but that's what was happening. And that's, you know, so I'm, um, so I went with it. Old, old punch card has a song on it called, uh, November, September and comma has a song called September. Remember. So I wonder, Oh right. Yeah. Are are those connected? Is there usually some personal significance associated with the titles that you know the listener is just sort of uh, presented with to sort I, of make with make of what they will? What's hilarious is I don't I don't even think I recalled that connection there actually, <laughs> but I, I said of course I knew it intuitively probably. I mean for me the titles. Um, are very impressionistic. I mean, I really like doing the titles, but they don't. I mean, if you read the list of song titles, you, I would, I like to think that it could be like a good poem in a, in a nice way or, or that it can possibly complicate things or make things more sort of obscure possibly. But also I, that's not a prerequisite either. I mean, I think, I mean, for me, September Remember fits that song perfectly. That's why that's the title. <laughs> you know, I don't think I would have called comma that. So I'm reacting to the music um, as sort of objectively and subjectively. I don't know if that's possible, but um so yeah, coming out with the titles is sort of like the last cross the T, dot the I on it. And yeah. it's um, it's really hard to do actually, but, and I sort of uh, don't look forward to it, but for some reason, it's a critically important final step in a way. I think it's sort of, you know, really putting your final approval and stamp on it and sort of giving it a name is you know sort of granting it significance beyond another scrap from the studio kind of you know yeah yeah um seeing seeing kate got to to play a few shows right before the shutdown right or or was that solo stuff you you were able to to perform a little bit earlier this year right right so the seeing cake i think we did like 
eight shows on the West Coast. And then our last show was in Mexico City at this festival. And that was March 8th or something. So five days later, it all shut down. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was intense. And uh, you could tell that something was happening and in the air, obviously. I don't think... Um, so the shows were like amazing and this different kind of energy from the audience and stuff. And I think it's, um, you know, you got the feeling like people are showing up like, okay, this is it. This is our last show before the shutdown, you know, before it was explicit for anybody, but there was a weird energy to all of it and it was quite eerie, but the shows were great as well. So. Had you had you spent much time? Did you get to spend any time in Mexico City? Did you get to 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 you know check things out, or was it pretty much show up, play that festival, and, and get out of there? So we were. I was there. I guess a couple of days. I mean, I think. Um. So I've not spent a huge amount of time there. Archer, actually, has goes there every year lately. So for the past five years or something. Um for like a month. Um, I think we would have stayed longer. I don't think when we booked the tickets, we knew what was coming down the line kind of, but I, so I stayed a couple days, but um, I had to get back because, you know, my kids and stuff, you know, I'm, I'm the stay at home dad. So I, I need to be in charge of like cooking food and stuff like that. Yeah. You had you had duties at home that you needed to get back to attend. To. Exactly. So I couldn't I could not take like a Mexican holiday yeah. at that time. Exactly. Well, I mean, because I I had already been gone like a week and a half, so I couldn't really stay much longer. Yeah. Well, you guys, you're at this such a unique point, right? You've been making records with with Archer Pruitt and John McIntyre and and other collaborators too. You know, uh, for like right. 26 years now or, or something like that. So. I have to imagine that at this point, when you're with those guys, I mean, it's like you 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 have to know these people beyond you know so 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 much beyond the average friendship or whatever. So I'm kind of curious, you know, when you guys aren't working on seeing cake or you know if you're you and John aren't working on your stuff, kind of what what kind of like friendship do you? do you have with those guys? Do you guys all talk pretty often, even when you're not working on music or, you know, is it sort of like that thing where you, you check in every now and then, and then when you get together, you know, the fact that you haven't been able to sort of propels things further. Um, it's a combo of all those things, you know, I, um, so John has not been in Chicago for quite a, for at least four or five years now. So that's a pretty big change, I guess. Um, I would say we don't hang out a ton outside of sort of seeing cakey kind of things. But, um, and I think it, in a way it hinges on, it's because we're usually busy doing, you know, like making a new synth record or kind of, you know. Yeah, exactly. I, I have to admit that I'm not, a very social person in the normal sense, you know, like I don't really go out to bars and stuff to hang out so much or whatever. Um, yeah. I was, so I was good. I was going to ask if, if, 
if you if you like to go if you ever like to go dancing because there are a couple record you know a couple moments on this record that feel that feel dancey you know and I was like I right. wonder yeah I wonder if that's something that you do but maybe not uh not really <laughs> I mean I love going to shows and stuff um, yeah yeah obviously and that's sort of my big outlet I've not I don't think I yeah I don't I'm not big on like going to dance clubs and stuff I definitely am into yeah, you know, some of that music, depending on who you're talking to. Like anything else, if it's good, I like it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of cut you off though. You were describing that you're you're not the you're not the most social guy. So I mean, I think we probably could have. You know that that probably makes sense. You mentioned early on that this year, your life didn't change drastically. So I, I have to imagine that means you like being at home. You right. like being at home with your family and 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 maybe in the studio there. Exactly. I mean. I think, and I don't know if people realize this, but being a musician, artist, or for me anyways, it's sort of, it's a pretty hardcore, selfish pursuit, you know, in a way, but I can't help it. (laughs) I mean, I think I would probably, I'd be a better friend if I wasn't always working on this stuff, you know, basically. But I, I, I feel like people understand me on that level, and that's, what I have to do kind of, um, or yeah. I'm driven to do it. It's, it's sort of beyond my choice in a way. Um, but the host, the C and cake dynamic, obviously and importantly is very crucial and important to me. Um, and I would, you know, so we have an amazing time when we're together and it's, um, it is a very, you know, intense and special collaborative friendship as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I feel that sort of comradeship is very um, intense, and I feel quite fortunate to have it for sure. You guys put out a record in in two thousand eighteen, any day, and I mean, I mean, it, it's. Uh, I don't want to, you know, like, you know, overly praise or, or be like some sort of fanboy on these. I try not to, at least on these podcasts. Well, that's okay. Go ahead, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's as good a record as, as you guys have ever made. You know, it's so it's so good. There's a lot of truly um, kind of exciting stuff. And it's weird to think about a band that's, you know, 25 years into it and still making stuff that feels very you know, alive and there's a, there's a vividness to what you guys do. And I have to imagine that that couldn't happen if there wasn't also some sort of, you know, shared, you know, intentional sort of thing of like, we're going to, you know, we're going to maybe hold each other to a high standard. We're going to, we're going to push each other to be the best we can be, you know? And, uh, if you guys have been doing that for, for 25 years or whatever, you know, I have to imagine that, has resulted in a sort of, um, I don't know, like a, like a communal language, you know? Every band sort of does that, you know? How would you describe the sort of the character of the Sea and Cake partnership at this point in the, in the, the long process? Um, it's hard to describe it. It's very, um, I mean, we don't dissect how it works for us in our process. It's sort of like we know what we should and can do. I'm not saying that 
there's no critical thinking involved, but there's a certain um, trust in the combination of what we're going to do that I think if we went over it too much that it would start to, um, you know, it could potentially not work if you sort of dissect it too much or sort of uh, dwell on it beyond sure. what's necessary kind of. So I think we have a certain faith in our sort of natural abilities combined that make for interesting music and we don't want to mess it up kind of. But we also trust that if it's not happening, that we'll also recognize that. And um, that will be a sad and terrible day. I mean, I hope it doesn't come anytime soon, but. Have, have you guys ever over, over the course of, of, of doing the band? I mean, have you ever had a, a, a you know, let, let's say like a studio session or something where you just decide that it's not, it doesn't feel right. And, and you guys should, should call it and come back at some other point. Or have you always sort of been able to, to work through that stuff? Uh, we've been able to work through it. There's, I mean, it is, it can be, and it has been really hard at certain times. Um, I'm not going to, you know, there's definitely, it's not, it's never been super, easy and of it you know of course obviously but um i don't think there's any point i don't think i i don't recall any point where i was thinking this is just not happening and i think um perhaps i just don't allow those thoughts to come into my mind sort of you know i think it's sort of a certain faith in that more work can fix it kind of, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not saying that we're overly confident and there's, uh, you know, there have been plenty of times where I'm like, oh, this, this part sucks or, you know, my singing is terrible here. What can I possibly do? You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I can't, I can't recall specific situations, but there's, you know, there are times when it's, um, it seems completely pointless or <laughs> I don't know, but well, I'm somehow, gonna... somehow we always pull it off in the end. I, I mean, I will say it's a tremendous amount of work. One thing is I will say that I feel like I do more work than anybody else, <laughs> which is just, which is how it's sort of naturally fallen into place, you know, because I come up with the stuff to start and then I have to do all this singing, which is like, an entirely different entity than, you know, writing the music part and all this stuff. And that's like a very solo pursuit in a bizarre way, you know? So I feel like I spend months doing these vocal things or whatever while Archer is, you know, watching movies and going out to eat dinner and stuff. Or whatever. <laughs> but so, but I'd have it no other way. And I think what's, and it's not like we had to discuss, oh, that's how it should happen. It's just sort of, you know, the work tells you that's how it has to happen because um, I don't think Archer's going to start singing, you know, the Seam Cake songs. Or, I mean, he could, but then it would be a different band sort of, you know, so. Yeah. 
You you obviously have you know you've worked with with different producers over the years and stuff. Um, comma though it, it's 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 mostly this is mostly your your baby, right? Uh, yeah, I went out to um, yeah, so I mixed it all in in my home studio, but then I flew out to Portland uh, to get John to help me do the final mix, you know, like in a more proper studio situation with big speakers and, you know, make sure everything was, yeah. Yeah. Was okay. And dot the I's and to, you know, make it sound as good as possible. So, yeah. Do you think that at this point you are interested in making a solo record with a producer, with somebody who, you know, I mean, it it sounds like you know in a, you know you've already got uh you know this very fruitful and long lasting artistic collaboration with with your friends but I mean do you ever find yourself sort of itching like man if I could get you know insert name here to just like uh, force me into some sort of new zone or or push things in a different direction or do you sort of like the solo stuff as this place where you can kind of work on your own pace and 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 mostly focus on keeping uh, yourself happy basically with, with what you're creating. All right. So I, I've done a few, um, projects that feel more collaborative and I'm definitely open to it. And it's, um, and it's sort of, it's easier in a way because the whole, when I'm solo for so long, it becomes, you know, I start faking myself out and second guessing things and it's hard to know, you know, missing that outside feedback, you know, makes it difficult to really know and what you're hearing <laughs> in a certain way, you know, sort of. Yeah. So I, I definitely value, um, I, and I haven't done a lot of it. I mean, really, it's sort of little one-off things, but um, in some ways, uh, The Republic, half of it, is a soundtrack and even though it wasn't a musical collaboration i worked directly with the artist director and that was sort of i mean i made all the music decisions or whatever but he had to like it and that was great actually i loved it it was amazing and actually there's a record in between old punch card and the republic that nobody's heard. It's a soundtrack for a movie called uh, Pavilion by Tim Sutton. And it came out on record super limited, only like with the film on DVD and stuff. And mm -hmm. that was a very close collaborative project, um, very tied to the movie and back and forth. And that was amazing as well. And so I, fully appreciate this working with uh, directors is really good. Um, I recently did a remix for a band, uh, Pia Frost. They're sort of like a shoegazy band from, I want to say Serbia or Croatia. I'm not, I don't want to me mess up their, uh, where they're from and stuff, but so they asked me to do a remix, which I don't do a lot of remixes. And I told them up front, like, listen, I'll try it, but I'm not really a big remixer type. And they're like, just 
do whatever you want. I'm like, okay. Um, so I did whatever I want. And basically I did sort of like a new, I mean, in some ways it could fit on comma basically. I mean, I used some of their source material Yeah. and that provided the kernel, you know, the gestation, you know, the sort of push for the piece, um, the, the sort of, uh, origins of it. So you're, yeah, um, so you're certainly open to working with, with other people when it comes to the, the solo side of things as well. Sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, um, you know, to close, we've gone the entire interview without mentioning the name Brian Eno, but I'm going to blow it up now and, and mention Eno, um, which okay. is, uh, you know, uh, anytime somebody makes an electronic record, you know, that isn't, uh, I don't know, that, that's sort of meditative or, or you know, minimalist, you know, it, obviously, Eno, it serves as a, as a touchstone, but, you know, he talked, right. he talked about how his definition of ambient music in the beginning was music that could be listened to, you know, passively or, or actively. And I wondered mm-hmm. if, if when it came down to it w- with comma, you know, w- which way do you think uh, it is better heard sort of as this thing that you're focusing on, or is there a part of you that does feel okay with the idea that maybe somebody puts this on, I don't know, at a dinner party or, you know, when they're sitting down on the, you know, sitting down on the couch after a, a long day of, you know, Skype and zoom teaching with their children or whatever. How, how do you, how do you think it? Right. Maybe? I mean, I, I'm fine with people listening to it that way. Um, but I think to really hear it, you know, you need to, it needs to be loud and surrounding your whole head, I think. Otherwise, you'll miss a lot of it, I think, basically, which is sort of, it's a real headphone record. I mean, I made it in headphones, you know, because I work at night, kind of, I can't be blasting the stuff throughout the house or whatever. So to me, it's like, it demands a certain focus to get, to really get into it, I think. But I think with comma, maybe it can function in the background as well, but you're, I, you know, you're not really listening to it, I guess, in a way. So in a way, I think it functions ambiently, but I don't think it's technically an ambient record. Although I was just thinking comma, that title has got to be one of the most ambient titles of all time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it does sound almost like, yeah, ambient or maybe like an ECM record or something, you know? Uh, Right. Yeah. But those are good things for sure. Yeah, totally. I was wondering, I'm like, I'm not aware of any other records called comma. Maybe there are tons of them, but you know, of course I had to do a Google search, like records called comma. I didn't see anything. Well, I think that, I think that means you're safe. You're in the clear. Right. But I think it's kind of, I, I love titles that are so odd or like comma. It's certainly not an obscure word or, you know, ter- anything like that and that, but put in a context of an album title changes it in an interesting way, I think. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Comma is like a, a pause or a, you know, like a, you're getting ready for, for something else to happen, but I think a lot of stuff happens on this record. And and Sam, it's been a really uh, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you about it. And I thank you so much for taking the time today to 
to go down all these uh, roads with me. Oh, you bet, man. Thanks. Sam Precop of The Sea and Cake. That's going to bring this week's episode to a close. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I host, write, and produce transmissions. Andrew Horton edits our audio. Jonathan Mark Wells does video production. And Justin Gage, AD main man and guru, is our executive producer. If you enjoyed this talk, please share it with a friend. We count on word of mouth. If you dig transmissions, let people know about it. You can tell your friends that they can listen wherever they get podcasts or that they can just head over direct to AquariumDrunkard.com where they'll also find all our podcast archives plus 15 years of great music writing, interviews, reviews, radio playlists, features, and a lot more. And if you want to take your support a step further, consider checking us out on Patreon. We'll be back next week with another talk. Until then, stay safe and take care of each other.